Okay, everybody, here we are. It's week four, Specs and Planks. Thanks for coming. If this is your first time, you're going to want to go see the first three parts of this series, Specs and Planks, but we're at week four, the final week. You should be relationship experts right now. I'm positive that all of your relationships are in tip-top condition. You've taken care of everything, and it's all perfect. <laughs> well, at least you've got the foundation to do that. And here's the truth. You've got to actually apply these things into your spirit and you will see your relationships change. Today we're going to talk about the final part. What happens when someone has wronged me? I saved this particular message for last because I think when it comes to relationships, this is the part we should be concerned with last. The first three weeks, the first 75% of this series dealt mostly with one side of the relationship. Your side, my side, your own personal side. Remember in week one, we had this old, woo, the plank came out. Jesus said, take care of the plank before you deal with the speck in your brother or sister's eye. That's called introspection. Do this first. What's going on in me that's making me behave the way that I am, speak the way that I am. So before I deal with the problem of my brother or sister, I need to deal with my own problems. I got to take the plank out of my own eye. So when I take that plank out of some my own eye, I can actually help my brother or sister and not harm them. Week two, Pastor George preached a great message. Hallelujah. He taught us that the end game is love, that the relationship is more important than being right. I'm right. You can actually keep relationship and be right at the same time if you will sacrificially love your brother or your sister. Greater love has no one than that, by the way. And then last week I taught you what to do when you have wronged someone else. When I've wronged someone, what should we do? And remember, we said go and be reconciled. Go and make the changes necessary to not wound the person again. So that's been the first three weeks now, week four, what do you do once you've done all those? Now we can healthily handle someone who's wronged us. Once I've introspected, once I've decided I'm going to sacrificially love, once I've made sure that no one has anything against me, now I can healthily deal with someone who's wronged me. And let me just ask a question. If it's true of you, you can hit the like button or type in the comments, me, me, me. But have you been wronged lately? And when I say lately, let's just say all of 2020. <laughs> Were you politically wronged? Anybody hit the like button? Yeah, baby. Racially wronged? I mean, we heard a lot about that. Spiritually, have you been maligned by somebody? Physically, emotionally, verbally, have you been wronged in any way? Raise your hand, hit the like button, let me know so that we can make sure that we're aiming the arrow at the right target. Well, here is Jesus's recipe found in Matthew chapter 18. And I, I want to read this piece of scripture, Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. I, I, I want to read it in pieces, like little by little, so that we can stop along the way and see how Jesus says to deal with someone who's wronged you. And I need you to think this the whole time. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus's words are truth. And it's the truth that shall set you free. But it's not just knowing the truth. It's actually living, doing the truth. And if you're in a relationship that is hurt or souring or there's something that's off, apply the truth 
Do the truth, even as you hear Jesus speak it, and you will see that the truth sets your relationship free. So here we are, Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15, says, If your brother or sister sins against you or sins at all, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. You have won your brother or sister over. Now, just to be clear, this passage relates really to any sin, any sin whatsoever. So if you know of a brother or a sister who's struggling to keep their marriage pure, well, then you could go and use this recipe, this scripture to approach them and say, hey, let's work something better out for your marriage. But since hurting one another relationally is a sin, we can follow the same pattern, the same path to wholeness that Jesus lays out here in Matthew chapter 18. And just to begin, I wonder, hmm, does anything in the solution that Jesus is speaking to us today sound familiar to last week? One little word? One little two-letter word? Anybody? Write it in the comments. It's the word go. G-O. Go. And you may be like, wait, last week you told me if I have wronged someone, Jesus says that I should go to them and make it right. So, following that logic, if someone has wronged me, I should wait right here for them to come to me because the one who's been the transgressor needs to be the one that comes. I'm going to wait here, right? Wrong answer. <laughs> Jesus says, if you have hurt someone, that's what I taught last week, then you go. If you've hurt someone, go. And today he's saying, and if someone has hurt you, you go. <laughs> In other words... If any relationship feels out of whack for any reason, no matter the offender, the transgressor, the, so the solution is the same. Jesus says, go. Like, why? Well, you know this to be true. If we dilly-dally, if we wait, we create gaps in the relationship. And gaps in relationships are the enemy's foothold big time. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. I mean, it's all there in this verse. Uh, the verse, just really Jesus speaking through the verse, gives an expiration date to your anger. Like there's a time when your anger is done, and that expiration date is sunset. Every single evening. It's a beautiful reminder in the sky every night. Am I angry with anyone? Is the sun's going down? Is there somebody that I'm relationally off with? Jesus says, don't let the sun go down on that. I must address it now, right now, or according to the scripture, I willfully, I choose to give the devil a foothold in my life a place of standing, like you can hang out in my spirit. To let the sun go down on your anger or to leave a gap in the relationship is very much like taking, let's say, 10 $100 bills and you put them in a too tiny wallet so the dollar bills are sticking out and then shoving that wallet into your back pocket with the money kind of flapping in the wind and then walking down the streets of New York City. All right, you, you get the picture. I got this big old fat wallet with all this money hanging out, walking down the streets of New York City. You better believe you've just given the thief easy access to rob you. Or if you're not going to New York City anytime soon, just go on a vacation. When you leave, leave the garage door open 
and the front door open, not unlocked, leave it wide open. Jesus is essentially saying in this verse in Ephesians that it is that obvious what you are doing for the thief on the, to benefit the thief when you don't deal with relational issues now. If you've wronged somebody, go now. And if somebody has wronged you, go now, right now. In today's message, since we're going piece by piece through the scripture, I have these little thoughts that I've written down that I'd love for you to write down as well. They're, they're little checkpoints when you're dealing with somebody who's harmed you. Here's the first one based on what I just taught. I'm not letting the enemy steal this relationship. Go. If I don't go, I'm giving the devil a foothold between me and this other person, and it's just going to get worse. Exacerbated. That's not a fun word. Well, there's another key in this piece of the scripture that we just read where Jesus says, just go the two of you. In other words, this is meant to be a private conversation between you and the person who has offended you or injured you, whatever the case may be. When you make public by bringing other people along a private issue, according to the word of God, you are now also in sin. <laughs> this person offended you and you're mad, but now you bring all these people to the meeting and now you've sinned against God and against them. It's one thing to have to work through the issue between the two of you, right? That's how it's supposed to be. That Not this massive amount of people. You don't also want to have to work through public humiliation. Like, wow, I can't even listen to what you're saying to me because all these other people are here too listening to this and I'm embarrassed, I'm, I'm hurt, and I, I, I can't even deal with it, right? If you intend to bring other people along with you to a private conversation, you might as well have put a sign in the offender's yard. Just like, plop, here's a sign. Alice, is rude and ugly. <laughs> and then everybody who drives by Alice's house, they think badly of Alice. Poor Alice. I don't, I don't know any Alice's. That's why I chose Alice. Well, public humiliation happens to bring with it a terrible traveling companion. That companion is shame. Everyone say shame. Even if you're out there all by yourself, just say shame. And when you say it, you kind of say it like I did. Shame. Shame. Uh, popular author Brene Brown has wonderfully defined guilt and shame. And sometimes it's best to understand shame when you understand guilt. She says that guilt says, you did something wrong. So you did something that's wrong. Shame says, you are the something that's wrong. Guilt would say, man, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am the mistake. There's a difference. And public humiliation brings shame with it. Jesus is telling us, don't pile shame onto this situation. It's like adding salsa to an upset stomach. Don't do that. It's already difficult enough. Don't add more to it by making public a private conversation. Here's what you need to think. For the best possible results between you and this other person, go alone. That's what Jesus said. Go alone. Well, you may ask, when is it appropriate to bring others along, to reinforce what I'm saying, to help me make sense of this? Well, Jesus explains that next in Matthew chapter 18, verse 16. It says, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. <laughs> listen, one of the worst things I hear as a pastor, and you probably hear this too, and by the way, you can be assured of this. It's one of the things that I ignore very often. It's this kind of thought. Somebody come to me and say, hey, 
well, I'm not the only one who feels this way. Lots of other people feel the same as I do too. And by lots of other people, it usually means me, myself, and I, and the cat. I mean, it's a emotionally manipulative kind of statement to say a whole bunch of people feel the same way. And what somebody when somebody says that to you, what they want you to feel is fear. They want you to feel ganged up on, like the whole world is mad at you, and so that you'll do what they say. In other words, it's a power trip, and it is a sin. What Jesus says is to bring actual witnesses, not just say, hey, a lot of people feel the same way. You bring actual witnesses, and the witnesses aren't there to pile on, like, we all hate you, we're all mad at you. They're actually there to show objectivity. Meaning this is not personal. It's not one person who's felt this and they're just mad at you. And so I'm, I'm trying to get back mad at you. One person didn't just hear this wrong. We, all of these witnesses, eyewitnesses, we've all seen this in you and we all want to help you. <laughs> so here's what you need to think. We are ganging up on the enemy and not the person. We're not trying to beat down this person. We're trying to come and bring truth and we've all experienced this, now let us help you. So you've gone alone, and then you went with two or three eyewitnesses, not just gossip and we're ganging up on you, people. What happens if nothing changes then in the person? Jesus continues, Matthew chapter 18, verse 17, he says, if they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. How did the people treat pagans and tax collectors back then? Here's how they did it. They wouldn't associate with them. And if they became a tax collector, then they would kick them out. Like, you're no longer allowed to be a part of our group, a part of our family, a part of our church, whatever the case may be. Jesus says, kick them out. How does it make you feel? Like, by the way, this is like the last resort break glass it's an emergency we've tried one-on-one we've tried two-on-one we we've tried three-on-one we've tried the church helping them out and they refuse 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 jesus says to kick them out remove them from your group from your family from your church whatever the case may be and you may be like wait a second that's so mean but jesus the bearer of all truth and all wisdom is the one who's speaking this and you may be like hey i expected cuddly teddy bear Jesus, and I'm getting this? Are you telling me that Jesus actually draws a relational boundary at some point? And the answer is yes. And you may say, well, why would he do that? Is he trying to hurt the person? Like, I'm mad at you. I kick you out. I, I hope that you hurt. Absolutely not. The answer is no. Is it to bring the person to their senses? The answer is absolutely Yes. If you go and look in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a story of a man who's caught in sin and they're trying to help him. Like, man, we want to help you, want to help you. And he, he refuses to be helped. So in verse 4, Paul addresses it. He says, so when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man, this sinner who won't repent over to Satan <laughs> for the destruction of the flesh so that, here's the why, his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Now, when you hear that, hand him over to Satan so that his flesh may be destroyed. We're not talking about killing a person. We're talking about killing the desires 
of the flesh relationally, to be right, to have pride and arrogance and to turn, to hand them over, to kick them out is to say, hey, you need to feel the pain of what you're going through so that it will die. And what will be left is your spirit, which is of the Lord and it is of good. I mean, you can think of in, in, in the gospel of Luke, the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. The father allows him to go and spend his inheritance wildly. He's gotten in parties and no telling what else. And eventually the prodigal son finds himself eating the food of pigs. So the, the dad said, hey, no, you got to go. And when he went, he found himself in the worst position possible. And it was there that he came to his senses. He's like, oh my goodness, it'd be better for me to be at home, to be a servant to my father than to be here eating the slop of the pigs. He came to his senses. And that's what this is meant to be. And remember, this is the last resort. We hope that they'll be one over one-on-one or two-on-one, three-on-one of the church, whatever. But if they don't, then we turn them over to allow what they're walking through kind of to hit rock bottom. So they go like, oh my goodness, I do not want to live this way any longer. And by the way, this is also not meant to isolate someone so they feel alone. It's not meant, hey, you gotta, we want you to feel alone, but it is meant to protect the flock. The flock is being protected by this person being kicked out. Turn them over to Satan, remove them from the church. And you may say, well, Jesus left the 99 to go after the one. So why would he also say to kick that one person out? Well, it's because they're two separate circumstances. When I'm lost and hurting and broken, yes, Jesus will come running after me every single time. His grace and his mercy, they follow me. But when I am repeatedly harming others with my sin and I'm unwilling to grow, I'm unrepentant, and I cause others to stumble, this is what Jesus said. He said it to his disciples in Luke chapter 17. Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, meaning bad stuff's going to happen. It's going to happen here on the earth. It's bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus is willing to give grace over and over and over and over to anyone. But Jesus also draws a boundary that says, at some point, if you are unwilling to grow, I'm not allowing you to take others down with you to harm them any further. So you must be removed and hopefully you'll come to your senses and return repentant. Again, last resort. But overall, this is what you need to think. This is for their own good. This is for their own good that we take this final extreme step. Now, I wanna show you the results of what happens if we go one-on-one -on -one and they're one over or two-on-one or three-on-one or the church-on-one or they turned over to, to saying eventually we pray relational reconciliation comes. And verse 18 tells us what happens when that comes. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, he says in verse 19, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree together about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, you heard this before, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. It's always very interesting to read scripture in its full context. That scripture doesn't just 
one scripture's floating out over here, another's floating out of here. They're seated somewhere. They're in context somewhere. Last week, if you remember, there was this whole section on name calling. Raka, you fool! And that name calling section was attached to the portion of scripture that dealt with us being the transgressors and we, we need to go make it right. Well, today we see a couple of attachments and they're kind of in Christendom, some really famous verses and they're all right here in this relational reconciliation piece when somebody's wronged us. They're right in the middle of it. So we can't read them separate from it. You have to read them all together. Here's the first such attachment. Just as the ability to worship freely is granted to us when we reconcile, which is what I taught extensively on last week. If we go and reconcile, then we have the ability to worship freely at the altar. Well, today we learned that agreement is gained also when we reconcile. Last week was worship. This week is agreement. And you may be like, big deal, agreement, huh? Yes, it is a very big deal. Listen, I've heard people quote Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, so many times it says where two or three are gathered, God is with us. But what they typically fail to recognize is that it's the kind of gathering that brings about the power, not just the fact that you gathered. I mean, next time you're at dinner with a few other Christians, you can be like, hey, God's with us because we've gathered. We're, we're all here together. You can go to a movie theater and just kind of yell out, is there anybody here who's a believer in Jesus? And if anybody raises their hand, you're like, I just want you all to know biblically that God is with us because two or three or more are gathered. It doesn't work that way. Gathering doesn't mean just the proximity of people, but it actually means the unity of people. When God sees people gathered together in unity, that's when the power of agreement is enacted. That's when heaven moves. <laughs> unity comes through relationship. That's why it's seated right here next to the relationship verses right next to it. And unity also comes through intent. As I've taught before, to gather in agreement is to be on official Jesus business. That's what it means to gather in Jesus's name. We're not just gathered here watching a movie or having dinner. We've gathered in Jesus's name to do official Jesus business. So if we are relationally right with one another and right standing with one another and we have purposefully gathered to seek the Lord regarding something on official Jesus business. Boom! Now we have agreement. And Jesus is clearly indicating in this verse that agreement based on relational and spiritual unity moves the heart of heaven to respond to our requests. All the more reason to get our relationships right. And let me just say this final note on agreement. The original writing of the Bible was in Greek. And the Greek word that was written is this word, symphonio, symphonio, from which we get our word symphony, right? Can you picture the, all the instruments? You got the woodwinds and the brass and the percussion. You got the conductor. You got everyone there. Now imagine those instruments and all everyone together, not in unity, not in agreement. They're just all playing whatever they want, whatever notes. It would sound horrific. You can hear that. Imagine that. But oh, the glorious sound of the symphony that's in tune on the same page of music and on the same beat. That's what a symphony should sound like. And that's what our prayers sound like to God when we live in unity with one another. When I go and make the relationship right, 
That's the first attachment. And here's the final one. This verse is somewhat famous and it's right here, right next to this relational piece. Let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And then listen to what he suggests. Up to seven times? Like, that's a lot, Jesus. And Jesus answered him in verse 22. He says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And some of your Bibles will read seven times, 70 times. <laughs> Peter's like, I think seven's a big number. I kind of went for gusto. Like I could have said three times of forgiveness, but because I'm Peter and I'm awesome, I'm going to say I'll forgive seven times. Woo! And Jesus is like, not even close. I'm going to give you such a ridiculously large number that it stops being about the number. The message is always be ready to forgive. Yes, if you had to send a person away, whenever they finally come back to you, it's time to forgive. Now listen, this is as much for your sake as it is for them. If you remember last week, we had this heart and I told you that the person came and they, they stole a piece of my heart from me and they were bringing it back to me to reconcile. When you forgive, listen to me, when you forgive, you're actually saying, I receive this from you. And if you refuse to forgive, then you're saying, hey, I don't receive this back from you. And what you're essentially doing is hurting yourself and not them. They've come to ask the debt to be paid back and you can either receive it by forgiving them or you can say, no, I don't forgive you. And they keep a piece of your heart. They've tried to return it to you, but you rejected it. You didn't forgive them. And so you are the one that's hurting, right? Remember Pastor George taught a few weeks ago that not forgiving somebody is like drinking poison and hoping they die. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. If you don't receive back what they're trying to pay back by asking for forgiveness, then you're actually not wholehearted. Now, just a side note, you can forgive somebody even if they don't ask you for forgiveness. By doing so, you're not asking the person to return this to you, but you're asking God himself to restore your heart. <laughs> I mean, it's a taco. It's like God gave you a heart back, but even better. It's, an, it's even better. And, and this is so important. If somebody has wronged you and they don't come to you, it doesn't mean that you can't forgive them. You forgive them, and instead of them restoring your heart, it's the Lord God who restores what is missing. You don't have to wait for them. You don't have to have a grudge. You don't have to have bitterness. You say, Lord, I forgive them in my heart, and the Lord will restore to you what was taken. I hope that that makes sense in your heart. Go ahead and forgive the person, even if they are not sorry, even if they're not repentant. This brings me to my final point. Let me just finish this entire series by making one last observation. Everything that Jesus is asking us to do in his word for others, everything that Jesus is asking us to do for others, he's already done for us, for you, for me. The Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, still sinning, while we're in the midst of sinning, Jesus left heaven to die on the cross for us. Jesus came to reconcile with us by sacrificing himself for us. And Jesus forgives you. And Jesus forgives you. 
and Jesus forgives you. And Jesus forgives you over and over, 70 times seven. He forgives you even when you don't deserve it. How loving does it feel to receive this kind of grace and mercy from God when we've been so undeserving? And how does it change us to want to honor the Lord and to serve Jesus because of this great love and the manifestation of that love in our lives? When I have wronged God, yet he has loved me. When I've turned my back on God, yet he has remained faithful. And it's that kind of love to, to me from God that changes me. So let me speak this to you. From that place, from that vantage point, you go and do the same. You go and love your enemy. You go and love your spouse, your, your mother-in-law, your brother, your sister, whoever it is, Go and make the relationship right. Jesus has already made the most difficult relationship right by dying on the cross. All you need to do is pick up the phone, walk across the room, fly across the country, and make the relationship right. My friends, my brothers, my sisters, I know this is difficult, and it's difficult because it's worth it. If it was easy, anybody would do it but I believe in the Holy Spirit's power within you to redeem every relationship, or at least for you to do the godly part. If you've done your part and the other person's not responding, that's not on you. You go and do your part. You do it faithfully. You do it with love and sincerity. The Lord will bless you. The Lord will give you access through worship. The Lord will give you the power of agreement. And I'm certain of this, you'll have much joy in your relationships. I so hope that this has been helpful to you, Specs and Planks. I know uh, relationships, they're, they're up and down. They've got some great ones and some bad ones, and the bad ones seem to drag us down, but it's time that we redeem them and do things God's way. Let me pray for you. Father, for every relationship that is represented by any person watching this today, I ask that your grace and mercy would abound that we would know new horizons in these relationships. We wouldn't make these declarations like, oh, that ship has sailed and it's already gone and done. Lord, but we will believe in your power that when we walk in your way, that you bring your supernatural power to heal. And Father, I do pray for those who've been hurt. There, there's some of you out there right now, you're hurting because of a relationship. And Father, I pray that you would come. You say you are near to the brokenhearted. It is your promise, God. And I pray even now that you would sidle up. You would just manifest yourself tangibly in every room where somebody's hurting and just say, I'm here. I'm walking with you. This is not the end. I see your tears. I see your broken heart. And I've come to make you whole so that you can go and try to make the relationship whole. Father, bless these people. Give them strength. Give them renewed hope that you can make all things new. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm glad you've been here. I hope that you'll go to illuminate.church connect to continue the conversation. If you need prayer, care, want to join a group, get in one of our events, the men's spring retreat's coming up. We got a men's golf tournament. That's not a men's golf, it's anybody's golf tournament. And that's for the land. We're raising money for the land. You can see all of this on our website, illuminate.church connect. Next week, we start a brand new series called The Main Attraction. And you'll never believe what the main attraction is here in Central Florida. We'll see you then. God bless.